This episode of Policing Matters is sponsored by Utility Inc., the innovative technology-enabled service provider recognized for creating groundbreaking digital systems for frontline professions in effectively collecting, analyzing, and managing digital media evidence. Welcome back. You are listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. It is safe to say that the majority of police and civilian interactions end without the use of force, yet some situations may become violent with resisting subjects and resulting in police use of force. Today's guest set out to study video footage from body-worn cameras in order to see what contributed to situations that ended with force while other situations did not. Our guest today is Dr. Eric Pisa. He is a professor of criminology and criminal justice and director of crime analysis initiatives at Northeastern University. Dr. Pisa served as the GIS specialist of the Newark, New Jersey Police Department, responsible for the day-to-day -day crime analysis and program, program evaluation activities of the agency. He has a PhD from Rutgers University and has published over 60 peer-reviewed journal articles and three books. Dr. Pisa's research agenda focuses on the spatial analysis of crime patterns, evidence-based policing, crime control technology, and the integration of academic research and police practice. Well, welcome to the show, Dr. Pisa. Jim, thank you for having me. Well, you know, I found your articles fascinating. Uh, talks a lot about uh, situations before, during, and after police interactions, uh, primarily reviewing body-worn camera footage. Of course, we can only see it from the perspective of the officer uh, to the, um, the subject. And so I wanna talk to you a little bit about that, but also um, about the uh, subject or offender in some cases, uh, what their behavior uh, was observed that might have led to the interactions and use of force as well. You analyze hundreds of hours of Newark Police Department body camera footage in order to try to understand what factors predict and when use of force occurs during officer-civilian interactions. How were these incidents chosen? Were they randomly, uh, were they presented to you or did you just go through uh, random footage. Yeah, certainly. So this partnership started with the North Police Department um, soon after they started working with the Department of Justice on the mandated consent decree. And at the same time, um, one of their primary policies as part of the consent decree was to deploy cameras to all of their officers. So when we thought of this study, uh, my colleagues and I, we approached the, the North police. Uh, we explained what we were interested in doing. We explained how we thought it may benefit the agency. Uh, they agreed to, to partner with us. So essentially all of the incidents that we included in our analysis were all of the use of force incidents captured on body cameras during the initial rollout of body cameras in Newark. So essentially everything that was captured in their entirely, entirety um, in the year 2018, which was the pilot phase for the agency. Yeah, so what, what 
spurred you in particular to conduct the study? What kind of hypothesis did you have in mind? Well, certainly. I mean, so what, what spurred the interest in the study was the fact that body cameras have become very widespread, very standard in policing and the entire public discussion around body cameras. And to be honest, a lot of the academic discussion around body cameras as well focused on whether or not they prevented negative outcomes, right? So do they prevent citizen complaints against officers? Do they prevent officer use of unnecessary force? And all of those are, are very important questions to ask, right? So I have no problem with researchers looking at those outcomes. At the same time, my colleagues and I, when we thought about this, we realized that that we really don't have a lot of good measures of police citizen interactions in policing, right? Written reports or secondhand accounts of events, that's primarily how we learn about on the ground, face-to-face -face interactions between officers and civilians. So what we thought was that the body camera allowed us as researchers for the first time to really look at precisely what happened during police citizen interactions. And we thought that we could measure quite a bit of very rich data from the video that again, we couldn't measure from any other data source, right? So that essentially motivated our interest in this topic that motivated this particular partnership with the Newark police. And in your, your website, uh, among your articles in your research, you describe the 91 officer citizen encounters that you coded the content, cutting the footage into five second intervals and recording different variables. These included calm commands, shouted commands, non-compliance by the citizen, verbally antagonistic behavior on the part of the citizen or the officer and different degrees of use of force. What did you discover from these reviews? Yeah, certainly. So what we found by looking at the footage and breaking it down into those five second intervals is that a number of situational factors do have significant influence on whether and when police officers use physical force during police citizen interactions. In a certain respect, uh, a lot of what we found echoes prior research in this area. So for example, suspect resistance, suspects being in possession of a weapon, in particularly firearms, that, as you would expect, kind of increased the chance that force would occur. I think that's understandable. But what we also found was that a lot of police officer actions also were very predictive of exactly when, during an interaction, police used force. So, for example, um, force tend to happen quickly after police officers issued shout commands, when police officers use what we classified as verbally antagonistic behavior, force essentially would also happen pretty quickly after. We found that when police officers adhered to what we refer to in the literature as procedural justice, that the time to force actually lengthened. In other words, when police officers did things like uh, maintain respectful tones throughout an encounter, explained explicitly why individuals were being detained, offered civilians the opportunities to ask questions about their detainment when officers did those things, 
the need for force actually reduced during police citizen encounters, right? So essentially what we were able to find was, again, we were able to identify specific measures that we argue couldn't be uh, measured in a valid way from existing police reports. And we were able to identify factors that influence physical force during police citizen encounters. Right, and you're, you're well-versed in police use of force, you know, about the legal um, conditions and descriptions. Um, to a layman though, they might not understand that police sometimes uh, get into a situation that's already accelerated, right? You already have a, an offender or a suspect who's already maybe assaulted someone or they're fleeing a crime or something like that. And when we talk about use of force in academic settings, I know sometimes we still hear people talking about a continuum of force when we know there's no continuum that officers go into a situation, apply whatever force is necessary, take whatever off the shelf works for that situation. Did you consider this in these interactions where, yeah, it would be great to be able to explain uh, the situation to the offender, but sometimes that's just not possible. Yeah, certainly. So what we, what we found actually was that in most cases, officers actually did a decent job of adhering to the use of force continuum, right? So in most cases, uh, physical force was preceded by some type of verbal command. In most cases, more severe levels of physical force was preceded by lower levels of force. Mm -hmm. So police officers in our study, at least, actually did seem to adhere to a continuum. A continuum. At the same time, and, and that's a great point you make, Jim, right? At, at the same time, what we found was that other factors may explain and highlight why strict adherence to a physical force continuum may not always be realistic in a lot of cases, right? Um, again, suspects attempting to flee a situation, right? We found that when that happens, the likelihood of force occurring pretty quickly increases substantially, right? So in such a case where a suspect is trying to flee the scene of a crime, for example, right? We're perfectly understanding of that's not a situation where strict adherence to a continuum is practically feasible. So you, you make a great point there. And generally speaking, our, our findings do support that perspective. Great. You know, in, in on this subject, um, I've been to some conferences recently where uh, there's the debate of whether or not an officer should use obscenities in commands. And I know there's some that feel, feel very strongly about it. I know that there's at least one campaign uh, that's called Swear Not to Swear. I don't know if you've heard okay. of it. But it's uh, to bring down, uh, you know, the level and bring up civility and bring up professionalism. Did you uh, touch on that at all, that when obscenities are shouted, did they uh, tend to calm the situation or did they accelerate it? That's that's a, a, a great um that's a great point you make there, right? So in, in the most recent study that was published in criminology, we did find that verbal antagonism was actually associated with lower likelihood of force occurring during a police citizen interaction, which was interesting, right? Because as you said, uh, on one hand, theories like procedural justice suggest that officers should minimize their use of profanities as much as possible. Um, on the other hand, we found that at least in our sample, 
the seconds after a aggressive verbal command was given and profanities was captured within within that type of behavior um, that the likelihood of force actually went down. So what we posed in the discussion section of that article was this is probably very context specific when we look at things like officer use of profanity, right? So for example, if an officer pulls a car over and immediately starts dropping F-bombs on the driver, I, I think we could consider that as probably inappropriate action. On the other hand, we think that aggressive officer tones may be part of the continuum of force that we mentioned, right? So if essentially following a respectful shout command, um, the need for physical force is still likelihood, I think we have to ask the question of, maybe an officer being a little bit more verbally aggressive in such situations and using profanities maybe is not the worst thing in the world if it actually pre prevents the need for physical force. Personally, I'd rather have an officer swear at me than tase me, punch me, kick me, point his weapon at me. Um, so again, so, so we, we think this is really context specific. Um, our study kind of suggests that, again, it, it depends, right? I, mean, I, think, I think we all could agree there's certainly situations where profanity would be highly inappropriate but maybe there's situations where it's it's not as in, inappropriate and frankly speaking maybe there's some benefits if that actually de-escalates the situation yeah absolutely and 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 clearly that that can't be the standard on every car stop excuse exactly. me ma'am would you get the f out of the car please <laughs> yeah may i please see your effing identification yeah probably not a good idea so how was the compliance factor in the outcomes of the officer's decision whether or not to use force? So the compliance on the part of the person detained or the offender? Yeah, certainly. So we found that um, non-compliance to officer commands was one of the top predictors of when force is more likely to occur which again makes sense, right? prior research suggests that citizen resistance, both physical and verbal resistance is related to use of force. And our findings supports that, uh, supports that perspective, right? So essentially non-compliance to verbal commands and also what we categorized as physical civilian resistance were both very, were both highly related to the use of force during police citizen encounters. Yeah. I'll Oftentimes in, in review, um, especially by professional standards units or internal affairs or offices of citizens complaints, um, that, that part is often discounted. Um, that it doesn't matter what the uh, individual did or said, there are still um, procedures to follow before using force. Um, did, did this did your study um, come out with findings or recommendations to law agencies or investigative agencies that look at these kinds of stops? Yeah, certainly. So uh, one of our recommendations here is for agencies to use body cameras more as a performance evaluation tool rather than just a tool to prevent negative outcomes. Because um, again, a lot of things that we're interested in having officers do, my co-authors and I argue that we really can't measure those any other way. 
So as an example, a lot of police agencies require in their policies for police officers to announce to everyone on scene that they are indeed wearing a camera. I, I can't imagine any other way where we could actually measure officer compliance with that policy directive, right? And in this example, we, we did, right? We were able to demonstrate, um, unfortunately, that only about 40% of incidents involved police officers explicitly announcing that they were wearing a camera. Um, so essentially, um, the good news, though, is that by quantifying that, police supervisors, sergeants, lieutenants, et cetera, now are armed with the information needed to go back and re-emphasize to the officers under their command exactly why that policy directive is so important and to kind of support officers in maybe doing a little bit better job of making sure that they are indeed announcing the presence of a body camera when, when possible. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about um, training and policies, but first I'd like to take a moment. Utility provides a universe of intuitive solutions for effectively capturing, analyzing, managing, and sharing video evidence. Technologies include a variety of cameras, sensors, devices, as well as situational awareness software solutions for law enforcement, first responders, transportation agencies, and utility providers. To learn more about utility and its technology solutions, visit utility.com. That's U-T-I-L-I-T-Y.com. And we're back, and I'm talking with Dr. Eric Pisa on his use of force study and, and other uh, studies that involve uh, body-worn cameras and officers' reactions in encounters with citizens. Uh, the study that looked at encounters between December 2018 and 2019 happened well before the George Floyd incident and before de-escalation became a household word. Did your study help reshape de-escalation policy for Newark PD? We believe it did, right? Again, this, this um, partnership started at least in part as a result of the Department of Justice consent decree in Newark. So as we were working on this, on, this, uh, on this project, before any one of our research results were published, they went directly to the police leadership in Newark. Um, we had several meetings and presentations with the command staff over there as the project would go on. So they were always uh, the first to know everything that we found. And to be frank too, they also helped us as outside academics understand and interpret the results in a practical fashion. Um, so I, I know for a fact that the, the North Police Division has started to incorporate reviews of body camera footage, right? So essentially they are now randomly selecting body cameras, um, body camera footage of specific events and looking into police officer interactions. Um, so I, I, I like to think at least that, that our study kind of helped motivate that policy decision in the agency. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't know when it was 10, 15, well, at least 15 years ago that uh, body-worn cameras became uh, an issue. And I know we were offered at the San Francisco Police Department, we were offered free uh, body-worn cameras uh, as part of a study in, I believe it was 2010. And, um, you know, the the predictions about the effectiveness were wild, right? That they were going to prove that the police were mistreating citizens across the board. And then the other 
the diametric uh, opposition to that was it's going to show the police are doing everything right. In general, uh, what, what have you seen? In my experience, I think um, hesitancy oftentimes surfaces around body cameras from police officers for the first reason, right? So everyone kind of assumes that all that, that body cameras are being deployed as a gotcha, for lack of a better term, right? Mm-hmm. And then over time, in my experience, as officers see that perhaps uh, increase of complaints against officers are not substantiated because of the video evidence, they come around to actually appreciating the benefits of their body camera, right? One police officer I know from a Midwestern agency actually told me that she loves her body camera so much, she wished she had a back camera, right? So that all angles um, (laughs) could be covered while she was out on patrol. Um, From a larger perspective though, I think this dichotomy of um, it's either gonna record all bad things or it's going to show how great police are, kind of misses the point of exactly why body cameras are beneficial, right? To me, I I don't think the footage can help inform only in cases where officers do something blatantly illegal or blatantly against policy, Mm -hmm. right? It could help inform officers how to make small adjustments um, or to emphasize maybe some of the good things they're already doing in a way to mitigate the situational threats that we identified in our research as increasing the likelihood that force is going to be necessary. So one analogy I like to draw is between how we use body camera footage in policing as compared to how um, football analysts use video of actual games, right? So essentially when someone is trying to understand something about football, um, you know, they look at very specific things, right? They look at the routes that the wide receiver ran. They look at whether or not the quarterback did a sufficient job of looking at all of the different pass options. They look at how long the offensive lineman holds the block before moving upfield to kind of assist in, in run blocking. Um, Using that analogy, if, if football, if the football media used their footage, similar to how most police departments use body camera footage, all they would look for would be players either doing something blatantly illegal or making sure players don't like step out of bounds all of the time. They wouldn't care about any of those nuances, right? Body camera footage, I think we're guilty of doing that too much as a field, right? We're reviewing body camera footage just to see if officers blatantly violated policy just to see if officers are doing something illegal. All of this nuance about exactly how to engage with the public, about effective strategies in dealing with uncooperative suspects, about how to manage best large crowds that may gather around a potential use of force incident. All of those little perspectives and learning something from those little nuances is the real value of reviewing body camera footage and policing in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you, you in in the same vein of football, I heard a, a a player talk recently about his performance and said the footage doesn't lie, right? The film doesn't lie, and in that respect, and this may be a little far afield from today's discussion, but uh, there's also a, a difference of opinion in whether or not officers should be able to view their own body camera footage during an arrest before they write their police report. Uh, academically and personally, what do you, what's your opinion on that? 
to be perfectly honest, I haven't I haven't thought about that uh, about that particular aspect enough to have an educated opinion on it. <laughs> right. So when we approached this study, like we approached it under the mindsets that everything we were watching was appropriate. Right. So the assumption we had was that if there was something inappropriate on the footage, internal affairs would have caught it and officers would have been punished accordingly. We were only giving access to videos that were not under active internal affairs investigations. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we kind of made it a point to not have any assessments or, or opinions on whether or not what we were watching was legal or proper, right? So essentially we, we went in there with the mindset that everything we were watching did pass the bar of a legitimate warranted use of force event. Um, and because of that, like I, I honestly haven't given too much thought to the implications for report writing or or um, testimony or anything like that. So I'm I'm sorry to dodge your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I think um, I know there are several agencies that allow officer reviewing the footage, um, but some do not. And I actually, think but 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 let me say. So I, I haven't given much thought to officers reviewing footage for report writing purposes, but I'm a strong believer of having officers along with their supervisors regularly reviewing their own body camera footage. And again, not for any discipline purposes, right? We have a perfectly legal event that with some small changes to how officers responded to situational dynamics could have been improved, right? So for that reason, I am an advocate of officers being given direct access to their own body camera footage so that they can learn a little bit about maybe how to adjust their techniques or demeanor during police citizen interactions. Sure. Yeah, I think the criticism of the officers reviewing is that they they could make their narrative fit what they see on the camera as opposed to what they actually I, thought during the incident. You know, I, I I totally understand that, right? I just have I haven't like my research doesn't focus on that, so I'm a little hesitant sure. on on opining at the moment. <laughs> okay, yeah, you know, when my students write uh, a paper about body worn cameras, uh, they hang their hats on maybe one or two uh, studies. And I think one's from Baltimore, as I recall. Um, but yeah, I'd love to see more body-worn camera studies to look at this um, in situations where force is used and the, the real measure is the objective reasonableness of the officer. What did they believe? What did they see? Why did they react? And in, in my opinion, the body-worn camera footage is evidence, and like any other evidence, they should should be able to, to take a look at it. Um, I think there's a judgment when people think that in reviewing that they're, they're somehow going to use it um, and manipulate the footage. The foot, and, and back to what I said about the footballers, yeah. the, the, the film is the film, right? The, the video is the video. Uh, so your overall findings of the study, uh, what should we be doing different uh, before we use force? Or is it a mixed bag? I mean, is every incident an individual incident and we don't have any cooker cookie cutter recommendations? 
I think the overall recommendation does point to that, the fact that um, every situation is going to be unique and the footage provides an incredibly valuable, rich data source to help police agencies and their officers understand maybe how different situations can be approached um, using more effective communication tactics, using more effective methods of interacting with the public. Um, aside from that, right, I mean, we do highlight certain benefits, right? So again, procedural justice kind of broadly speaking across our studies did seem to generate more positive outcomes. So emphasizing procedural justice training, um, which a lot of police agencies already, don't, already do, but to kind of at, at the risk of beating a dead horse here, right? I mean, they really don't have many good methods for actually measuring whether or not officers are acting procedurally just in the field. Mm -hmm. uh, the body camera footage allows them a mechanism for actually seeing how that type of training translates into the street. Um, so again, kind of broadly speaking, what we do find support for those types of uh, training, um, training efforts of police officers. Okay. Yeah, I think about interactions um, in traffic stops and, and stops on the street uh, on foot. And uh, I'm just wondering if, if we're talking about procedural justice, about treating people with respect and explaining things, uh, did you find any sort of indicators that if an officer is too brief, that force is likely or if they're just talking too long, do, do offenders, not just uh, citizen subjects, but offenders, um, do they see that as uh, maybe a weakness and take advantage of it? Do you, do you understand what I'm asking? Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good question. Um, we didn't find many of that only because these were actually mostly drawn out situations, right? So I think we have kind of a common perception that use of force happens on a quote unquote split second basis. Hmm. And while the actual decision to use force does happen quickly, the events during which use of force happens for the most part in our study were pretty prolonged, right? So essentially the average police citizen encounter in our in our in our data lasted about seven minutes before use of force was actually employed. Mm -hmm. um, so essentially, that shows that these are actually pretty long, drawn out interactions where the police and the civilians on scene are engaging in a good deal of back and forth, are engaging in a lot of give and take, um, which again we think points to the fact that we need to not only emphasize the split second nature of decision making, but we need to understand a little bit more about the preceding interactions and how that leads up and builds to a situation where physical force is necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I know from reading you know thousands and writing a couple of hundred police reports myself in, in use of force that Oftentimes, the officer cannot articulate exactly why they used force, mm. but in in looking at the situation and walking the officers through it, uh, there are subtle changes in the behavior of the offender, the suspect, a bladed stance, when they ball up their fists, when 
their facial demeanor changes that only after talking it through do they realize, yes, all those things happened. But as an officer encountering someone, encountering someone on the street who takes all those positions, these physical changes uh, from a, a consensual encounter talking about football to getting to preparing to battle, um, I'd love to see studies about that. I'd love to see um, if we could start to recognize a pattern of the offender's facial expression. Is there a change of expression just before they decide to turn and run or stand and fight? Yeah, that, that's that's a great point. That's a great point. And that speaks to the rich data that's available in footage that I think policing would benefit from from leveraging a little bit more. And, and actually, and let me say, too, because I realize I've been talking about footage review in the context of negative events. There's also probably a whole lot we can learn about positive events. Right. Um, incidents where officers do successfully de-escalate a situation and avoid the needs for force, right? Situations where officers do a good job of communicating with the public in a manner that does not agitate an already stressful situation. Um, if we systematically look at those types of events, there's probably a lot of positive benefits and, and positive behaviors that we could highlight and start to distribute to the field a little bit more readily. Yeah, that's a great point. Hey, I'm going to be mindful of your time. I appreciate you coming on board. I know you're speaking at conferences. I just looked at all the other, uh, well, not all of them, but I looked at a couple of other uh, articles and studies that you've published. Uh, I'm going to post a link under our show notes for our listeners to uh, catch up on what you're doing. Where else can we uh, see and hear from you? And, and what are you writing and researching these days? Yeah, certainly. So, um, so first things first, uh, the, the link that you're going to post uh, links to a page on my website. And what I want to emphasize to everyone listening is I always have freely accessible versions of all of my articles on my website. Kind of one of the negative things about academic publishing is giving our Career mandates, we have to publish in articles that are subscription based. Um, I'm no different. All of my articles appear in those outlets, but I also always make some type of different version of the article publicly accessible. Um, so if everyone goes to my website, ericpiza.net, E-R-I-C-P-I-Z-A.net, they'll always be able to find freely available versions of my research articles as they're published. Terrific. And you just spoke recently at the American Society of Criminology. That's an annual um, event. Yes, yes. So I, uh, last month I was at the American Society of Criminology conference. Um, I wasn't talking about this study. I was actually talking about uh, an evaluation of the shot spotter system in Kansas City, Missouri, um, that I've been working on for, for a while that's being funded by the National Institute of Justice. Um, so that's that's currently the project that's taking up most of my time. The, this body camera project is is complete for the moment. Um, shot spotter and gunshot detection technology is now what my time primarily revolves around. <laughs> oh, that's great. I, we talk about that in class as well and yeah. talk about the um, the the idea that shot spotter will pick up shots fired, send officers there to find sometimes shell casings, maybe even a body, and still no one's called 911. I know that's happened uh, in San Francisco. 
uh, I look forward to seeing that. Hey, thanks again for being on the show and appreciate your time. No problem at all. Would it be okay if, if I just gave a couple of shout outs here? So I've been like vaguely referring to my colleagues. I wanted to mention them by name. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So, so my, my co-authors and colleagues on, on this uh, have been Victoria Sitzma at Queens University of Kingston, VJ Chiller at the University of Central Florida, and Nathan Keneally at the University of Tampa. And this was funded by the Charles Koch Foundation's Policing Reform Program. So thank you to all of those individuals for helping me and for the Charles Koch Foundation for funding this effort. Great. And we will find them on your website as well. Yes. Um, the the body-worn camera uh, article is going to be posted and your link to your, your website for the other articles. Hey, appreciate it. Uh, take good care. Thank you, Jim. And to our listeners, hope you enjoyed today's show. And what did I forget to ask? Let me know. And who do you want to hear from? And what do you want to hear about? Drop me an email at policingmatters at police1.com. Policingmatters at police1.com. Hey, stay safe and uh, talk to you again real soon. Take good care. I'm Jim Dudley.